let the dust settle a little bit. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the words of that last song, that we might receive the word of your holy, the food of your holy word. that it would bring about in our lives the purposes that you have in our lives to accomplish in us. And Father, as we look into Acts again today to see that it's important that we teach the whole word of God. Not just the parts that we like or the parts that make us feel good but we need to teach the whole word of God. And so, Father, I pray that you would work out in our lives that which you would have it to accomplish. Open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, and give us understanding that we might know you, Father, that we might know you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open in God's words, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 18. We will continue there. Last week we went over verses 12 through 21 and we talked a bit about Gallio. Probably more than than you hear most sermons in in, in that passage in the scriptures. But if you recall, the, the, the Jews in Corinth brought Paul before Gallio trying to get him to uh, convict him of some crime. The the Jews said he's preaching something other than what we want him to preach. In other words, he's not saying what we want him to say. And and Gallio basically told him to get lost. He said, this is your business, take it elsewhere. Now the good part about that was that it set precedent for many years to come after that, that the Romans would not get involved in the Jewish law, that the Jews would have to settle that themselves. And so, that, 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 the factor that it, it would just seem like Gallio was just trying to slough it off, it, it was a positive thing for, for Paul and, and the disciples preaching the word. It was a positive thing. And as amiable as, as Gal, I don't know if you remember, we talked about his brother Seneca last week, who said that there was, there was nobody else in the world that he knew that was as amiable about everything as, as his brother was. And yet it was kind of one of those things, if you don't aim at anything, that's exactly what you hit. You hit nothing. And Gallio ended up distraught and committed, committing suicide. He was... Utterly indifferent and thoroughly disillusioned. And it ended up in an ugly way. He, he drove the Jews away, but he also drove away Paul, the one that could tell him of Jesus Christ and salvation. And he didn't want to hear that either. So as we got to verse 22, um, yeah, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, is is there um, is is Paul is now leaving Corinth, uh, verse in eighteen through twenty one. It talks about he, he's leaving Corinth. He's 
he, he goes to the uh, eastern port of, of Corinth. There's, the, the canal wasn't through there back then. And on the, there was a port on either end. And Corinth was, was north. Do we have the, the map, Stephen, if we could? Right here is, is Corinth and Athens, and there's that little piece of land that is now a, a canal through there. But there you can see the, the town of Centria on the, on the eastern part of that port. It, it, for some reason, it just gives brief message that Paul got his hair cut there. He had, been, he had taken a Nazarite vow, and, and the time had come that it, the vow was completed, and for whatever reason, Luke decides to throw that in there. And some of the, some of the scholars think that, that that's perhaps why, perhaps, while he was so well accepted in Ephesus. Because as they, as they leave there, and you're following the text there in verses 18 and 19, he, he goes to Ephesus, which is just across over here, right here. Okay, so they, they, they sail across here from... Sancria, Ephesus. The, the ultimate destination is to come back to Syria here, the church in Antioch. But on his way, he stops in Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila are with him. And uh, he ends up leaving them there as he, as he heads back to, to Antioch and Syria. But as, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue in, in Ephesus and he was very well and quickly received, and some, again, some of the scholars think that's because he had his hair cut, which was an obvious sign that he had been under a Nazarite vow, so that those in the synagogue might be more willing to listen to him. Whatever the reason, he was there a short time, um, taught, taught the word in, in the synagogue. They asked him to stay longer, and he says, I'll come again if God wills it, in verse 21. And just one of my little hobby horses here. You, you have often heard the expression, Lord willing, and if the creek don't rise. Well, guess what? If the creek rises, that's because the Lord willed it to happen. I, I, I just don't like that little tack on the end. I know it's a silly little soapbox, but if the creek's going to rise, it's because God willed it, okay? So... Paul says here, he said nothing about the creek here, okay? He just said, I'll, I'll come back and visit you if it's the Lord's will. And so he set sail from Ephesus. They headed and landed in Caesarea, down here. It says that he went up to the church, which means in Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, he goes down to Antioch. Now, a lot of, there's a lot of speculation that he was in a hurry to get back for Passover, uh, may or may not have been the case. It was around that time, so uh, very well could have been a reason for, for Paul to hurry, wanting to hurry back and leave Ephesus quickly uh, to get back to, to Jerusalem for Passover. Didn't stay there a long time, and, and a lot of the idea is that he, he wanted to make contacts because at that time of the year with Passover, a lot of the Jews from around the world and around the, the land uh, directly the land of Israel there, would, would come to Jerusalem. And it was a good opportunity to, uh, to shall we say in today's vernacular, network for, for Paul to network with Jews from around the world and to, to see how things were going. He's there shortly, then he heads up to, to Antioch, and uh, is, is, that was his sending church. 
Okay, if you, if you look back to, we, I won't turn there now, but you look back to the first few verses of, of Acts chapter 13. And they were doing the work, Paul and Barnabas were doing the work there. They were fasting, they were praying, they were involved in the ministry, and the Holy Spirit told the church there, set these two fellows aside for the work of the mission field. They took off, and that was the first missionary trip, and boy, that seems like a while ago, but that was in, in this area here. They went to Lystra, Derby, Antioch, Perga. They spent some time on Cyprus, and now he's concluding the second missionary journey and, and getting ready very quickly. He turns in verse 23. He spends some time there. He departed and passed successfully through the Galatian region, Phrygia, and strengthening all the disciples. I'm getting ahead of myself. Slow down and go back, John, a little bit. After, after um, talking about Gallio, last week I shared a, a, a brief, because of time was short, uh, a brief uh, illustration about uh, George Sweeting. Mentioned that his wife's folks were from Germany. Anybody remember that? Well, I had intended to read and I'm, and I'm going to take the time to do it this morning because it's, it's important. I wanted to read a passage, and, and that illustration will be in it, so no, I'm not repeating myself. I'm, I am older, but I'm not losing it totally yet. Maybe a little bit, but not totally. So, And this is from George Sweeting. We have seen three generations of disciples in actions. He, in this chapter in his book, he, he talks about the, the Olympic torch being passed. And, and so he, in this case, Paul was the first runner. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were the next runners. And now he's going to come to Apollos being the third runner. And the gospel is being passed on, 2 Timothy 2.2. We, we have a responsibility to pass it on to the next generation so they can pass it on to the next generation so they can pass it on to the next generation and, and keep it going. So this is the third runner. We've seen three generations of disciples in action. No wonder the gospel spread so fast. And because of what we find here as the typical pattern for making disciples, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of disciples are we? Are those two marks of disciple makers evident in our own lives? You may say, wait a minute, I'm not a minister, but you are. In the New Testament, it is never one man who does all the work. Paul says it is the saints, plural, saints, who do the work of the ministry. And so we must ask ourselves, what is the argument of our lives? You might not be a professional apologist, but your words and actions argue for something. Our lives speak one message or another. And here you go. My wife's father and mother were bakers. They had a bakery in Dillenburg, Germany, and after emigrating in Fairlawn, New Jersey. As bakers, they had a huge advantage in advertising. They had no need to run ads. All they needed to do was to open the door and let the aroma draw the people in. Your life gives off an aroma. What kind is it? Does your very manner contend for Christ? We must ask what kind of influence we are in the church. We are influential. We either build up or we tear down. What about you? Paul was known for strengthening Christians by his teaching. 
Aquila and Priscilla did it in more common ways by words of encouragement, hospitality, and letters of commendation. A Christian is by nature a disciple of Jesus, and all disciples have a commission that is yet to be fulfilled. We are to be disciple makers. Jesus commanded, go and make disciples of all the nations. And in verse 23, it says that Paul went around this area where he had been before, strengthening all of the disciples. He had a desire for them. If you'll, well, you can either turn or just listen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. He, he agonized over them. These were his children, and he wanted to see them grow spiritually. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he wrote, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. He rejoiced over his children in the Lord, over those that, that through their first mission trip and, and second mission trip, and now he's starting again on the third mission trip, and he's going to go more to the north part, up here, Pontus Bithynia, um, he, he does hit these churches here briefly uh, before he heads back to Ephesus. He, he had a yearning to see them grow. He, he, he wanted them to develop and to mature so that they could also, 2 Timothy 2, 2, pass it on to the next generation so they could pass it on to the next generation. So you get the idea. So he was following up. He wanted to see their spiritual growth, and he wanted healthy churches. He wanted churches that, that taught the whole word of God, not just part of it, not just the feel-good part. He, he, he knows that, that to, to be a strong disciple, to be a strong Christian, you need to know the, the whole of the word, not just your favorite psalm. That was the first half of the sermon. Trust me, the second half is the longer. Verses 24 to 28, we're going to focus on a man named Apollos. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. I'm going to stop there. Alexandria was a very intellectual city. Yeah, here we go, down in the corner here, in Egypt, Alexandria. It was a town of about 600,000 people. Its library had over 700,000 volumes. That's a library. 
Okay, 600,000 people in town and 700,000 volumes. I don't want to say books because they weren't books. Okay, rolls, scrolls, whatever. 700,000. This, this man was very well taught and schooled and educated. Just because there isn't materials there doesn't mean that you necessarily have a good school, but they had several good schools in Alexandria, the top in the, in the world at the time. Many philosophers came from there. But he was a Jew. His parents were obviously from the, the dispersion of the, of the nation. And, and he was born in Alexandria, raised there. And he was mighty in the scriptures. When you die, can they put that on your gravestone? Susie was strong in the scriptures. Sam was mighty in the scriptures. Do you care? Wouldn't you like to be known for that? To be known as one who was mighty in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. We know that in Revelation, God talks about those that are, are lukewarm. He'd rather you be hot or cold and not lukewarm, because lukewarm he'll spit out of his mouth. But the fervent in spirit here, we, we miss it because we don't read it in the Greek, but the reference is to the Holy Spirit, and the word fervent means boiling hot. So again, we'll go back to the, not, not that we're going to focus on death a lot today, but go back to the gravestone. Do you want that on your, do you want that on your headstone? She was lukewarm for the Lord. No, she was boiling hot for the Lord. The, the, the spirit working in her or his life was something that was, was worth noticing. Verse 24 there says that he was an eloquent man. The scriptures use the word eloquent three times. In Exodus, Moses said, Lord, I am not eloquent. And in Isaiah 3, it's listing the judgments of the Lord, and he's saying that he will remove the eloquent from the nation of Israel. So this is the only time in the scriptures it's mentioned in a positive light that somebody is eloquent. He didn't even say use this word about Paul. Here is a man that is easy to listen to. Maybe not because the messages, his message wasn't watered down. But he was a great orator. He, he understood the language. He can, as much as we've talked about Paul, how Paul would adjust his message. If he was talking to the Gentiles, he, he would approach them differently than if he was talking to the Jews in the synagogue. Because the Jews in the synagogue had the Old Testament as their background, and the, the Gentiles out in the community didn't. So he would approach it differently. <coughs> Paul was no slouch. But Apollos was eloquent. He was easy to listen to. 
He was a good communicator because he got the message across in words that people could understand. He was mighty in the scriptures, fervent in the spirit. He was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. We've we've looked at all of his qualifications and how good he was at what he was doing, but we got to hit the brakes here. There's a limitation to to his preaching. There's a deficiency because the gospel that he was preaching stopped at the baptism of John. It, it, It wasn't complete. He didn't have the whole picture. We know that, that he was a, a Jew from Alexandria, and, and he felt that if time was short and, and the Messiah was coming soon, that he needed to go tell, them, tell the world. He needed to tell Jews all over the known world that Jesus the Messiah was coming. But we know, according to the scriptures, that Messiah had already come. The Messiah had died on the cross for all the Jews, for all mankind. But again, as Paul always went to the Jews first in the synagogues of the cities that he went to, Apollos, being a Jew, was concerned about going to the Jews. And and, and he was... He's everything I'd want to grow up to be. (laughs) Eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. Instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. But being more complete in, in, in overcoming that, that deficit in, in his preaching. So, so, so what happens here? Verse 26, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. That's another thing. Can, can they put on your gravestone that you spoke boldly for Jesus? In, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, in your community, did you speak boldly for Jesus? This guy did. He began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They didn't call him out in public. They didn't try to knock his feet out from underneath him. They didn't blast him and and rip him apart. They pulled him aside. In the military, we always had the phrase, you you praise in public and punish in private. It's a good good model. Don't tell the Air Force that it was from God's word, but, you know. They pulled him aside. And they, they instructed him, Apollos, we need to, we need to complete your, your education here. As learned as you are, as many degrees as you have, as many cemetery, I mean seminaries that you went to, you, you, you don't have the whole story. We need Paul Harvey here. We had to get Apollos the rest of the story. And, and, and Apollos... Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He's already been here. He died and rose and is again in heaven. Seated with the work completed. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Because the work is done. 
kudos to Priscilla and Aquila. Because they had enough conviction to help complete his education. How many, how many times do you, do you think, um, hmm, that doesn't sound quite right. Somebody from another church or somebody in the community, a friend, says, hmm, that's not quite right, but I'm not going to speak up. I don't need to set them straight. I don't need to, to give them the truth of God's word. Priscilla and Aquila didn't, didn't beat him over the head with it. That wasn't their approach. They patiently explained to him with, with, the goal, with the goal in mind of not, hey, we're better than you, we're smarter than you. But with the goal that when he preached the truth, he would preach the whole truth. That it wouldn't stop at John's baptism. But that he would share the whole truth of the word of God. As they opened the words that they had, they explained to him and they showed him in the Old Testament who Jesus the Messiah was. And they, they explained from their, their learning from Paul and their learning from others that, that Messiah had come. And, and as they're explaining this, kudos to Priscilla and Aquila for standing for their conviction and not, not willing to let the man go on and not teach the whole truth of the word. But kudos to Apollos as well. Here, here's a highly educated man. People drove their chariots for miles around to come and hear him speak. He was an eloquent speaker, mighty in the word, fervent in spirit. And yet he didn't think of himself as being too good to learn. In Psalm 42, it talks about as the deer panteth for the water. So my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to read that. So my song, my soul longs after you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. <coughs> As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Apollos' soul was longing for the truth, and he was willing to hear from these other brothers in the Lord so that he might be more complete in his teaching. In 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 2 is, is the verse about as, as the new ba newborn babe longs for the milk of the word. If you don't feed that baby for a few days, what happens? That wouldn't go that long, would it? They're screaming and they're kicking. I'm hungry over here. Do we pursue the word like that? 
Pour your word into me, Lord. Pour, pour it into me. Let it permeate me. So that when somebody squeezes me, only good stuff comes out. <laughs> Fill me. Pour into me, Lord. And now, verse 27, when he wanted to go up across to Achaia, he, he, he's going back over to where Paul came. It's interesting that Paul, Paul left Corinth, stopped in Ephesus, and he dropped Priscilla and Aquila off, and then he went on home. While he's gone, enter Apollos. It just makes me think of the verse in Esther. Mordecai says, and you might be there for such a time as this. And the Lord knew exactly when to deposit Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus so that they could be there to complete Give to help Apollos get the complete story, the rest of the story. You think God knows what he's doing? Just a little bit? So now, Apollos is going to head over to Corinth. Verse 27, when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. Remember that word fervent? Boiling hot? He wasn't, yeah, about it. He didn't mamby-pamby around. He got in their face and he went to them. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Using the scriptures and at that time, all they had written was the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written, but it wasn't together like this. So he's using the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. And now Apollos is better equipped. He had a teachable heart no matter how long we've known Christ. We must be teachable. First Corinthians 3 6. Paul, Paul, Paul was not threatened. By this eloquent speaker, this educated man, he was, not, he was not threatened like, hey, get off my podium, this is my stand here. He says, no, I've planted and Apollos has watered, but God gives the increase. Paul was not threatened by this man because this man was preaching the truth of the word of God. It wasn't a challenge because Paul knew, guess what, it wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about Paul. It was all about God. It was all about God. He also, Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.31, If you're going to boast, boast about the Lord. We have nothing to boast in. 
Because without the Lord, we are nothing. I'm sure psychologists or psychiatrists, whoever, whatever, would tell me you should never tell anybody that. Don't tell anybody they're nothing. we got to build people up. Well, guess what? Without the Lord, we are nothing. With him, we can be who he wants us to be. We can be somebody that he can use. Not that he has to use us, but we can be somebody that he would want to use in the ministry of the work. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so Priscilla and Aquila coming alongside of Apollos helped to have him understand and know the rest of the story so that he could preach. That, that yes, John was the forerunner and John was pointing towards Christ. But John's baptism was with water. Jesus' baptism is with the Holy Spirit. And now that he, he knows, he, he is more completed. More than... Uh, almost more than anything he learned in any of the schools in Alexandria. It was important that he had that lesson with Priscilla and Aquila. It was important that he learned that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is, and, and we normally have our verse up there, and of course we've taken it down for, for today, but... Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. John 14.6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by him. You have to come to the Lord through Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do it's all about him. But the joy and the power that we can have in, in, in being nothing in ourselves and everything in him is better than anything any psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever can tell you. Trust me. Because it will last for eternity. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that our aroma would be refreshing and smell good and not be stinky. That we would be disciples of Jesus Christ that would give off a fresh smell of Jesus. Father, help us to drink in your word. Help us to long for it. Help us to seek after it like the deer seeks water. Because that deer knows he can't live without it. And Father, as Christians, we can't live without your word. We can't live without you. Help us to be fervent, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit. That we would not be lukewarm, but that we would be hot for you. Thank you for this day. And thank you for your word, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.